0: I love the story of Hannah, and I think it's been really fun. I hope you've enjoyed studying these women and their relationships. I just think it's been a really um, encouraging study. Last week, we looked at Deborah, and Deborah's rule was a bright spot in the midst of much darkness. Throughout the time of the Judges, Israel has been a loose coalition of tribes, but major changes are about to take place that will transform the political, social, and religious life of God's people. The book of 1 Samuel tells the story of the transition from Judges to Kings in Israel. And Samuel, the last Judge, will be used by God to usher in kingship, To this country. The time of the judges was an era of divisiveness, cruelty, and apostasy. And it's gonna be against this backdrop that we will consider Hannah, the woman who longed for, prayed for, birthed, and influenced Samuel, one of Israel's most beloved leaders. We're going to be looking at Hannah's relationships through the grid of choices and consequences. God has given us freedom to choose. In the second chapter of Genesis, God tells Adam, you are free to eat from any of the trees except that one. And you and I exercise that same freedom every day. So what we want to look at today is how choices impact our relationships. Early in our marriage, um, my husband Bedford came to me very excited about an investment opportunity that we had. And I sat and I listened. And when he was finished, I looked at him and I said, I don't want to do it. And he kind of paused and then he looked at me and said, I'm going to do it. And so I got pretty much right in his face and I said... This is going to damage our relationship. Well, about a year into it, the deal became obviously a bust. And I was angry. And just as he chose to ignore my concerns, I chose relentless hammering every time I was reminded of that bad deal. And I feel free to share this story because Bedford used this very, um, this very story as an illustration when we spoke years later to a young marrieds class. And it was his, he got to choose the topic and he said, let's talk on financial oneness. I think it's so important. <laughs> <laughs> and so he stood up in front of that class and shared his story and humbly told the men in the room that they need to always have their wives 100% cooperation. Marriage is a sacred relationship, and our choices can have significant consequences. I want you to open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1, and we're going to start reading. There was a certain man from Ramathane, a Zophite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeraham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth an Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. Now verse 2 sets up Hannah's difficult life circumstance. There was agreement among the commentators that I looked at that Hannah was most probably Elkanah's first wife and that he married Penina because of Hannah's inability to conceive. And so, We need to understand that while women today might define themselves by their career, their ever-shrinking dress size, or skin that never wrinkles, this was a time when women were defined by motherhood and motherhood alone. And a lot of that was for practical reasons. They needed someone to take care of them in their older age. But children were a huge status thing which explains why um, this was such a devastating condition and why it was culturally acceptable to take a second wife. Jesus reminds us in Matthew 19 of God's original plan and design for marriage, and it's on your verse sheet. At the beginning, the Creator made the male and female and said, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh, so they are no longer two but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. So it's no surprise that Elkanah's decision drove a wedge between the couple, damaging their relationship. As the spiritual leader of his family, the man carries a big responsibility. When he fails to seek God, the consequences can affect everyone. Elkanah went to the world for a solution, and the result was division and pain. And although Elkanah made a bad decision that caused these problems in his home, he also made some good choices. Let's look at verse 3. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Now in your homework, we looked at how the phrase year after year highlighted Hannah's perseverance. But this phrase also highlights her husband's faithful worship. Elkanah was faithful in a time of rampant idolatry and evil in Israel. Verse 4. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Penina, Penina and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. Elkanah loved Hannah and he had much compassion for her hard circumstances. And he tries to comfort her with his heartfelt pleas in verse eight Why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? But Elkanah made a poor choice. And his kind words cannot erase the impact of his actions on his relationship with Hannah. The consequences of Elkanah's choice was division and pain. And you see that on your outlines. Now, in contrast, we see Hannah honoring her husband as she patiently waits on God. I think that we all know that I would have gotten a very low score on the 1 Corinthians 13 scale of loving responses, considering how I responded to my husband's bad investment. But Hannah does quite well. She is not demanding that he make it up to her. She is not reminding him of his past mistakes. She endures through a t- tough circumstance. Hannah chooses she chooses to love her fallible husband, which is hugely healing for a marriage. And I think the reason she's able to make that choice to love her husband is because of her most important choice, which was to wait on God. And we see that the immediate consequence is a time of suffering. You know, our obedience is not a shortcut to happiness. It's really more of a pathway to ultimate joy. We see Hannah suffering as she waits on God. Look at your verse sheet. I love this verse. Psalm 62, 5. Let all that I am wait quietly before God, for my hope is in him. You know, typically, women are highly relational creatures. We want to know and be known By other women. We take walks, we like to lunch, we organize playgroups, and we start supper clubs. Yet somehow the flip side of our desire for friendship is our tendency to compare and compete with each other. Let's look at Hannah's difficult relationship and see how she handles it. Verse 6. And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. You know, Penina has been put in a terrible position as Elkanah's second wife, brought into a marriage relationship in order to produce children for a man who loves another woman. But the reality is, a bad situation is never an excuse for choosing to be cruel. Penina had the same options as Hannah, and she chose jealous mocking year after year after year. This woman made a difficult situation a miserable one. You know, rivalry is a slippery slope. And it is a slope that I have been on. And I think for some of us, the root problem is we forget who we are. We are God's treasured possession, designed by him. But we forget that. And so we start to compare ourselves to others. Now, usually we pick someone that we have something in common with, someone in our workplace, our social circle, or the in-laws, which was always my favorite group to select from, (laughs) and this comparing leads to envy, and the envy will lead to discontent, which quickly, quickly spirals down into resentment, malice, actually wanting bad things for that person, and bitterness. When I got to bitterness in my difficult relationship, my joy was gone. In your small groups, you looked at a similar situation that Abraham's wife, Sarah, got herself into. Genesis 16 on your verse sheet. When Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarah said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. I put my servant in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your servant is in your hands, Abram says. Don't you know he's just going, get me out of here. And do whatever you want, what you think best. And then Sarah mistreats Hagar, and she fled. Like me, Sarah allowed herself to be drawn into a rivalry. And like me, Sarah convinced herself that everyone but her was at fault. Sarah's choices are in direct contrast to Hannah's. Hannah is well aware that she was being treated unjustly. But Hannah chose humble silence. And as a result, Hannah participated in the sufferings of Christ. Look on your verse sheet at Colossians 1:24. Now, I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions, for the sake of the body, which is the church. Now, this verse does not mean that there's any lacking in what Christ endured or accomplished on the cross, but it expresses the idea of laying down our rights for the sake of Christ. When Hannah chooses to not blame others... To not justify herself in response to Penina's provocative ridicule, Hannah is sharing in the future sufferings of Christ, her Savior God. It will not surprise you to learn that the name Hannah means a woman of grace. Okay, now we're going to have to do a little bit of jumping around in our passage as we look at Hannah's relationship with her spiritual leader. And that's verse. we're going to start at verse 9. Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. Now jump to verse 12 with me. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. Well, first of all, I think it's helpful to know that praying aloud was the common practice of the day. And so Hannah's silent prayer would have been unusual. Due to the influence of the Canaanites on the Israelites at that time, there very well could have been plenty of drunk feast-goers there. And that would have included Eli's sons, who were all about taking part in the temple prostitution and stealing the meat sacrifices for themselves. Eli was chosen to be God's mediator, and he failed miserably. It was his job to represent his people before God, it was his job to be tuned into their spiritual condition. But instead, Eli allowed this godless culture to influence his sons and dull his own personal devotion to God. Eli's choices kept him from being the wise and godly leader that God had called him to be. We see in verse 15 that Hannah finally breaks her silence to respond to Eli's charge. And I want you to listen to her words. They are bold, honest, and humble. Verse 15 Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking beer or wine. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. This is not the Hannah that we have seen so far in our study. This is a woman who has been transformed. Look on your verse sheet at 1 Peter two nine. But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he has called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Instead of Eli being light to Hannah, Hannah is light to Eli. Verse 17. Eli answered, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. And with humility and respect, Hannah said in verse 18, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Now in chapter 2 of 1 Samuel, and you don't need to go there, but God sends a messenger to Eli to tell Eli of his family's coming destruction. And I think we need to listen to God's rebuke. Therefore the Lord, the God of Israel, says, I promised that your branch of the tribe of Levi would always be my priests, but I will honor those who honor me, and I will despise those who think lightly of me. Sobering words about the consequences of our choices. Eli chose to please men, and his consequence was... That he would experience the very wrath of God. Hannah chose to please God, and her consequence was that she would experience the very presence of God. On your verse sheet, Psalm 31, how great is the goodness you have stored up for those who fear you! You hide them in the shelter of your presence safe from those who conspire against them. When we come into the presence of God, we are forever changed. We're going to look now at Hannah's interaction with God to understand this radical change, for this is the only relationship that transforms. So let's go back to verse 10 of our story. We know that they had finished eating and drinking and that Hannah had stood up. Verse 10, in bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. Now, I ask you in your lesson this week to consider if God ever allows hardships that are too hard to bear. And I think in Hannah we see the glory of a desperate surrender. God wants us to see our great need and make it our habit to run into his arms. James 4, 8, come close to God, and God will come close to you. And then verse 11, and she made a vow saying, Oh, Lord Almighty, if only you will look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son. This is the part of Hannah's prayer that we don't really want to hear. She goes on to say, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. Now, for all the days of his life shows that she is going beyond the normal Nazarite vow because normally it would only be for a specific, you know, specified amount of time. We want to hold on to our people. A mother desperately wants to hold on to her son. But somehow, through all of her waiting and all of her suffering, God has prepared Hannah for this moment. She will give her most precious gift back to God. Romans 12, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. We are all called to do this. Laying down our lives means, along with it, we lay down our people. The people in our life that are critical. The people that we have an intimate relationship with. While I was sitting at my computer this week, struggling with how to express Hannah's amazing sacrifice, a friend called me, and as we visited, she mentioned that she'd had sort of a tough day the day before, and she told me that she'd gone out into her backyard and sat down and just wanted to be still and think, and she said, I just began to sob, and she said, so I just, I started praying, and and then I, while I was praying, I couldn't. my hands touched my face, and it was dry. My face was dry. And I just stood up, and my sadness was just gone. It was just gone. And she goes, and I don't even know what I was crying about. And, of course, you know, as her friend trying to get back to her lecture, I'll go, oh, neat, neat, I'm so neat, and hung up. And then I started to think about what she'd said and what was going on in her life. And it just hit me. My friend is in the process of laying her son on the altar, giving him back to God in a very real way. Hannah is choosing to fully submit to God's authority. Hannah is choosing to sacrifice all. The last part of verse 18, Then she went away. She went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. When Hannah chose to sacrifice, God was pleased. God transformed Hannah from despair to delight. Her husband couldn't do it. Her spiritual leaders certainly couldn't do it. Only God and God alone. Now, some commentators think that Hannah knew God was going to give her Samuel. But I think Hannah went from despair to delight because she was satisfied in God alone. It didn't require being given the son. Lastly, we're going to look at Hannah's relationship with Samuel. And this was her sacrificial relationship. Verse 19. Early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah lay with his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked the Lord for him. I love that. Verse 21, When the man Elkanah went up with all his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, After the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. Do what seems best to you, Elkanah, her husband, said. Stay here until you've weaned him. Only may the Lord make good his word. And that's sort of a confusing phrase, and I looked at what the commentators said, and um, they seem a little confused too. So I think... (laughs) You know, they think either it's referring to a vow that we haven't seen or um, it meant really you make good on your word. But anyway, if you wondered about that, it's a little confusing. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. Typically, children were weaned around the age of three. And so for those three years, Hannah just delighted in her son, the answer to her prayer and I think this is a great example for example for mothers of young children. And so I have two little pieces of advice I'm going to give for mothers of young children: enjoy your children, delight in them, and don't allow guilt <laughs> or pressure to overcommit. And um, I say that as the head of the recruiting of volunteers for the women in the word Bible study. So I'm <laughs> I, I really mean it. If you're gonna do something, do it here. But um, <laughs> God will bless that. But don't don't buy into the pressures of the world because I know that, that I did that and um wish I'd just delighted in my children even more. Verse twenty four after she was after he was weaned, she took the boy with her young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. Now these sacrifices that we just read about were all more than what was required. Just like the sacrifice of her son was more than required of that vow. I just think the way Hannah is pouring herself out is such a picture of a heart that's overflowing. When they had slaughtered the bull, they brought the boy to Eli. Hannah presents her son to her new guardian. She had to have been absolutely certain that God was going to provide to leave her son with this man. Verse 26, And she said to him, As surely as you live, my lord, I'm the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I ask of him. Now again, (laughs) Hannah doesn't say, which I would have had to say, and remember you accused me of (laughs) drinking. (laughs) But she doesn't say that, and that, that was what makes Hannah way better than me. But Hannah eagerly tells Samuel's story. And God wants us to tell our spiritual story. I'm so excited. Next summer, Bedford's um, parents are taking us, the whole family, they have five kids, and so there's 30 of us now. And um, we're gonna go to Colorado Springs. And the kids, our our level, the middle generation, um, decided we we made plans to tour Glen Airy, which is like the only castle, one of the few castles in the United States. It's what we call a castle. Um, and then we're going to have his parents tell their salvation story to the grandkids. And the reason that's very appropriate is Nancy and David's, um, David's father had a house on Pikes Peak, a cabin. And so every summer, Bedford's parents went there. And this particular summer they went, um, um, Bedford's grandparents were have letting a Bible study um, use their cabin for the Bible study. And so Nancy and David just came to being with their family in Colorado, and um, they just attended the Bible study because that's where they were staying. And um, my mother-in-law tells it so well, but she was sitting there, and Dawson Trotman, who was with the Navigators, was saying, "Um, we all fall short of the glory of God. And... um, God sent his son to die and pay that price. And he took your sin away and all you have to do is accept that and believe on that. And for Nancy Berger, um, she said, since I was a little girl, I thought, 'There's there's something wrong. There's something I'm not doing. There's this empty place. And she said, when he said those words, it all clicked and I got it. And what's equally as exciting that Bedford's parents came to Christ is that they went back to Dallas and they basically were this young jazzy couple that were just looking to have a good time and their life was turned upside down and she started a good news club and they got involved in Young Life and Campus Crusade and um, were just lay people, but it's just been a, a lifetime of, um, of loving God and following him. And so I think for our grand, for their grandchildren, they're going to moan and groan about taking the tour of the Glen area, for sure. We may have to bribe them. But um, but to know their grandparents' spiritual heritage is the greatest treasure we can give them. And so I'm very excited about that. Well, let's go on to verse 28. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life he will be given over to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there that little three-year-old boy in his little outfit worshiping the Lord. It's hard for me to grasp how Hannah was able to sacrifice Samuel. Hannah was overwhelmed by grief, and after tasting the presence of God, she was overwhelmed by grace. Psalm 1611. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Hannah chose to delight in her son, and God was glorified. Hannah chose to delight in her story, and God was glorified. Hannah chose to delight in her sacrifice, and God was certainly glorified. You know, Hannah was set free when she made God her greatest delight. All of her relationships, she was set free to simply enjoy. She was free to forgive others, trusting God with injustice. She was free to enjoy her blessings, trusting God with her very son. She was free to hope, trusting God with her future. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so good, and it's just It's a funny mystery that sometimes we have to suffer, that we have to come to the end of ourselves to look up and realize that you're all we need and that when we sacrifice it all to you, that will be our greatest joy and that will be your greatest glory. And somehow it all ties together and we don't understand it. But help us, Lord. Help us when we walk through those really hard times to remind us that there is purpose and joy and that you're just waiting for us to run into your arms. We love you, Father. And we pray all this in your precious Son's name. Amen.